Hi, this is Richard Bassery. Welcome to Korosi Indonesia Podcast. I want to personally welcome and thank you for joining us today. We are really glad and excited that you are here. Because this podcast is designed for you, our Indonesia Corrosion community, wherever you are. Please do check our website at naceindonesia.org. And if you have comments and feedback, please write an email to nace at naceindonesia.org. And now, here is your host, Richard Bastery and co-host, Sina Sulaima. Everyone, this is uh, Sina from uh, Nest uh, Podcast Corrosion. Uh, it is good to see you again uh, today. Uh, we are going to have a good topic discussion with one of the well-known uh, person in this uh, area. So uh, hopefully that uh, we can learn a lot of things uh, in this podcast. So. Today, I'm uh, Sina Suleiman and with my friend Richard Basari. Uh, yeah, today we are going to discuss uh, a continuation from our previous uh, topic related uh, with the integrity. So we have our guest uh, now is uh, pa Andrew Mills. Uh, pa Andrew Mills previously worked in Indonesia also, so he's quite familiar with uh, with our culture and then also with uh, field in Indonesia. Uh, Hello everyone, nice to nice to hear you. Selamat pagi atau siang atau sore kurang tahu ya. <laughs> Kapan ini ini uh, dengar? Um, yeah, thank you for your kind introduction, Richard and and Sina. Uh, very nice to be here on this podcast with you. Thank you also, Pa Andrew, for uh, spending your time with us. Uh, so <coughs> previous. Uh, topic in our podcast we discuss about the mechanical integrity so in continuation we are going to discuss uh, related with the further uh, for the, with the next process uh, related with the uh, threat assessment or rba and corrosion so uh, before we start to our discussion maybe but, uh, for the first question would you like please to introduce yourself uh, your current position, your education background, and then also the last one, your Indonesian favorite food. I believe durian is still number one. Oh yeah, pasti durian. <laughs> that, that's what I was going to say, but I, I like um, any food as long as there's um, lots of sambal, yeah? So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know where do you start, rendang, bakso, mie goreng, nasi goreng, semua, yeah, lachan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do like Indonesian food and uh, I um, I also get teased quite a lot by my family because I do like to put lots of uh, chabe, lots of sambal on my food. So uh, <laughs> I like I like hot food. Yeah. And it's because I've grown up in Indonesia. Yeah. So so good question. My, my background uh, and my current position. So at the moment, I uh, am with Wood, uh, who's a large global engineering consulting company. I'm based in Perth in Australia. I used to be uh, with Wood in, in Jakarta and then in Kuala Lumpur for a little while. Uh, I have the role of Vice President of Integrity Engineering, so I do look after um, our integrity management and integrity engineering services around the world. So we have offices in uh, lots of countries, unfortunately, not in uh, not in Jakarta uh, anymore. Thankfully, now I am not traveling as much as you know. There's not many benefits from from COVID, but uh, thankfully, I'm not traveling as much as I used to to visit all the different offices. Uh, I, I'm actually a materials engineer, so my background is uh, is not corrosion engineering, but uh, materials engineering. So it's hampir uh, hampir Yeah, there's there's a uh, there's common common aspects, and I did corrosion engineering in uh, in university, but just one or two sub. And so, growing up, um, I guess you know, as you point out, I've I've had quite a lot of exposure to Indonesia. So I did grow up as a kid in uh, Medan in Sumatra, and then uh, came back uh, when I was working to um, in 2008 to Jakarta, which is uh, I think Sina, where we we met maybe in 2010, was it sometime like that? Eleven, but. 
Yeah, so so that's a little bit about my background. And yeah, most Indonesian food I like, but yeah, certainly durian uh, is is a favorite. And I have some durian here in my fridge in Australia. You can buy it, but it's um, it's from Thailand and it's it's not as uh, not as nice. Okay, thank you. Bye. As our uh, discussion relate with update on RBF threat assessment, so usually uh, we took the threat assessment from API five seven one. Um, I think we can discuss uh, first basic of the corrosion RBA itself. So some of our listeners may be uh, already long time in uh, integrity work, but some of them maybe not. It's better to start with the core of the uh, risk-based assessment itself, how we determine the threat and then how we determine the probability. Yeah, that's a very good good question, Richard. We're starting from the beginning, yeah? I guess a, a simple way to look at it is, you may have come across this, but uh, Four simple words in English, uh, plan, do, check, and act. And so the first part, uh, which is looking at the the starting point for a corrosion risk-based assessment is the planning. So when you're planning, if it's a new facility or even if it's an operating facility, what you want to do is to identify what things could go wrong. So what failures might you have? What corrosion mechanisms are active? What other damage mechanisms are active? Uh, and to do that, you'll need input information. So you need things like in pressure equipment, you'll need pressure, you'll need fluid content, you'll need um, maybe CO2 corrosion, or if you've got um, different chemical processing, the amount of chemicals or treatment in there. So these are the inputs for doing your corrosion assessment to figure out what what could go wrong. So what damage mechanisms are credible uh, that that might happen. And sometimes if you're looking at an operating facility or an operating plant, maybe a uh, upstream oil and gas facility, or could be could be anything, um, a paper mill or, or something. You can also look at what your inspection history tells you. So you might have done wall thickness measurements or done crack measurements or crack detection, and you may know some areas of the plant where you do have problems, and you may be able to either from modelling from that input data or from actual measurements get an idea of the severity or how bad something could be. So that that's the planning part of it, which is identifying your threats. Uh, and because we're talking about a risk-based program, yeah, risk risk is a combination of probability of something going wrong, but then also if it does go wrong, what will happen? So the consequence, yeah, will it be a an explosion or an oil leak or a, just a small leak? Is it high pressure? Is it low pressure? Uh, so the planning, uh, once you identify what corrosion mechanisms you have, whether they're active or potentially active, and how rapidly they may be occurring, then if something does happen, what could go wrong, that is your risk. And then with a risk-based inspection or risk-based assessment program, you then use that risk to develop your inspection program. So you're targeting at the areas of of highest uh, highest risk or most most severe um, severe risk. So that then drives the next step, which is the, so that's the planning, then you move into doing, so that's doing inspection or doing monitoring or maybe uh, doing checking of other information and then you come to the checking process, which is, okay, we've, we've expected to see this sort of corrosion at maybe 0.2 millimetres per year. Is that what we've actually seen? Oh no, Buck, we saw 0.4 millimeters per year. Okay, so there's something something wrong with our assumptions. We then need to act on that. We need to update our RBR program and put that back into the plan and say actually the the corrosion rates are higher than we expected because maybe um, the flow velocities were faster or because we had uh, we had some other things that we didn't understand when we did the initial planning. So that's the summary of sort of a risk assessment is doing the and, and the whole process to actually make it live in a, in a in a plant or in a facility is the plan do check and act um, a very important I think 
thing to get uh, understood right at the beginning. When people come and talk to me and they say, hey, I've got a facility, uh, I want to do a risk-based inspection program so we can reduce the costs. And I will, will normally stop and ask them, I say, well, if you do a risk-based inspection program, that's focused on reducing your risks, not necessarily reducing your costs. Now, it may be that uh, you're, by focusing on just the high risk areas, you can actually take some costs out of your inspection program. But if you're not doing any inspections, then maybe you'll end up, you know, your risk assessment would tell you you need to do 10 times more than you're currently doing and you need to be looking at lots of different places. So when we yep. have uh, good yeah. risk management, we have good safety, Absolutely. and that means good business. It's good, but thank you for the explanation. Maybe we can continue for the next question. <clears throat> so in the beginning, when we start discussion with you uh, about this podcast, uh you mentioned about the update on the threat assessment that that what uh we interested to know more detail about the uh update on the threat assessment <clears throat> uh yeah we know that in the in the facility for example like the in the facility for uh, from parichat we have a lot of uh process there that we have a lot of uh damage mechanism it can be co2 corrosion or uh, chloride pitting etc uh, maybe would you like to elaborate more in detail what kind of uh, threat assessment that uh, we need to aware of in in uh, hmm. for now and then also maybe any specific uh, type of damage mechanism that uh, we need to yeah to, to be focused more no problem yeah that's a good a good question. So, look, with uh, with your typical risk-based inspection program or your your inspection program, you go through and you identify all your different damage modes, and you know there are, as you said, APR five eight one five seventy one, which you can use as a reference for that. Um, you generally classify them as you know internal corrosion mechanisms like um, CO two corrosion or oxygen corrosion. If you've got oxygen in water, maybe microbial. Uh, corrosion if you've got bacteria yeah, present. Mm. Uh, external corrosion, so there's many different types of external corrosion. You can have you know, buried piping, you can have external corrosion that's uh, very localized. Um, corrosion under installation is a really big one and we might maybe talk about that a little bit more because with uh, with an old facility, especially in the tropics in Indonesia, then um, CUI is often a very significant uh, issue that needs to be managed. Once yeah. a plant is more than you know five, ten years old, you start to see CUI becoming more of a problem. So that's corrosion under insulation, uh, and also you've got uh, you've got as you mentioned uh, at the beginning, cracking. So environmental cracking, uh, even fatigue cracking. You know when you when you've got uh, cycles that uh, small bore fittings or other fittings go through. So those are the sorts of damage mechanisms. Now. I think when we t when we do uh, risk-based inspection programs, we like to use the word damage mechanisms, not just corrosion mechanisms, because there are lots of or there are a number of things that can go wrong with your facility, yeah. which which are not just corrosion. Yeah, it could be caused by by fatigue, uh, and that yeah. may be corrosion fatigue, but it could also just be fatigue cycles. Uh, and, and another one, which is, you know, don't don't forget. Uh, is is third party damage you know you can have um, earthquakes or, or you know subsidence where the soil settles you can have you know um, tukang 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 walking around with a spanner and maybe accidentally <laughs> hitting a pipe you know that happens uh, yeah. I'm sure you've all seen that if you've walked so there are things like mechanical uh, third party damage or or other things like that um, you know you still need to have a program in place to say how do we check to make sure that 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 hasn't happened so maybe that's just you know uh operators walking around uh every day or every week or every month just to check or if it's a if it's a pipeline then you know doing the right-of-way survey um another interesting uh, another interesting thing i was thinking about with this question is sometimes uh when you do this risk assessment you may um the the act or the process of doing an inspection can actually introduce uh, some some damage. So, for example, if you've got a, a heat exchanger with a, a tube bundle, and if that's in very clean service and it's um, 
there's there's not likely to be any corrosion maybe you've inspected in the past you know that the fluid going in is very clean or it's a it's a stainless steel tube bundle then the actual act of opening up the header and and pulling out the the tube bundle could actually cause damage to it so in some cases you might look and say it that damage mechanism could be caused by doing the inspection. So maybe you want to be a bit careful about how you inspect some equipment. Um, another one, which is an interesting one because it's it's not very well handled in your typical 581 programs is um, is vibration, yeah? So, so vibrating equipment near compressors or pumps, or if you've got small bore fittings or very very small piping that comes off a large piece of pipe is you know that you can do inspection but but uh often they fail very quickly like if the vibration happens then you get um if you get high frequency vibration it could fail very quickly so checking and doing an inspection every six months or every year or every two years may not detect it so often with a vibration program, and again, sorry, this isn't corrosion yet, but this is this is another damage mechanism just to highlight uh, that um, you might identify from your risk-based inspection program that vibration risk or small ball fitting vibration is a problem. And then you can jump out to use a different tool like the Energy Institute guidelines for assessing the probability of vibration on different lines. Uh, and then you might want to install vibration monitoring probes or have um, vibration meters looking at different flow rates if that actually changes the vibration response. Uh, you could also be looking at um, designing or eliminating out by vibration clamps and things like that. So some of the damage mechanisms that we talk about when we do a risk-based inspection um, are corrosion-related, like, like uh, we said, but some of them are also mechanical um and, and not not always corrosion related the other the other question was um when you're talking about um i think you asked about the the cost of inspection right so part of what you were saying richard of identifying the the risks and the consequences if you have a a piece of equipment that is very critical or very important to your process uh and if it if it goes down, then you lose a lot of production. Or if you have a piece of equipment where there is uh, the potential for, if if it does fail, then there's a potential for a fire or an explosion, then the consequence of that might actually be quite high. So it might be a very large consequence. So when you assess the cost of that consequence, either to safety or to production impact, a, a good engineering manager or a good engineer should be able to say, well, if I can do an effective inspection on that, if I can do an inspection that really tells me the condition, and maybe I need to spend a little bit more money, maybe I need to use more advanced techniques or inspect 100% of the the bottom of this vessel, if it's a pressure vessel, uh, you, you can sometimes justify higher inspection costs because of the larger consequence of failure. Uh, so that's a it's a, a cost-benefit analysis that you do as part of a, a risk-based inspection program. Yeah, I think the the vibration uh, side, this one is a uh, very interesting part because yeah, I just realized also in my current work with Richard that uh, I mean we need to have more detail uh, like uh, uh, what's it there. Uh, observation on this side uh, yeah yeah we we get the uh, we get the support also from from a separate division which is more is more expert in the vibration thing yeah. uh that's, yeah that's that's right often there are special companies that will specialize in vibration and and we in wood also have got a lot of expertise one of the one of the tricky things with vibration and and actually with all the damage all the uh, corrosion mechanisms is that a lot of it is driven by the fluid, yeah. So the the flow rates and the pressures. So you might have a, a piece of piping or a, um, a a header or or a slug catcher or something, and under normal flow conditions, no problem. Yeah, mm. no problem at all. But then when the production rate goes up to 110% or to 80% or something, then you start to see some vibration problems. So some of the damage 
that you have can be driven by other parameters. Uh, and this is part of doing the risk assessment is you look at all of the ranges of operating conditions to make sure that you understand what could go wrong. Mm, so, yeah, I think we need to define like what kind of uh, scenario that we need to use to, to yep. evaluate. I think uh, I think you are really correct, uh, Andrew. And uh, there is two things that you know I learned when I build the new train that really vibration it's not uh, start from the operations you know vibration it start even early from the design and the commissioning um, like for instance now uh, we doing commissioning uh, with the maximum flow that is the uh, correct time to see whether you know the pipe correct. will uh, vibrate and will behave when the when the when the fluid pass. And um, the, the other one, which which sorry, is a corrosion mechanism, which uh, I did talk about briefly, but corrosion under installation is a very, very difficult uh, corrosion mechanism to manage. If you have an old plant and it's got a lot of insulation, you need that insulation there often for process reasons. So it's, you know, if you can take it off, then that's uh, eliminate the problem rather than trying to manage it is, is a much better solution. But uh, a lot of coating systems maybe were not so good when the insulation was applied and the quality of insulation maybe is, is not very well maintained. So corrosion under insulation, especially in, you know, temperatures above you know, 60 to, to 100 and 120 degrees, you, you, you've got, you know, whole, whole facilities that could be very significantly impacted by corrosion under insulation. And it's it's a corrosion mechanism which you can build your your RBR program around, um, but often it's treated separately because you almost need a specialised campaign or specialised program to manage that. Um, there's some good inspection techniques now with uh, real-time X-ray radiography uh, that helps you get an insight into what's under the insulation. But uh, often you need to take a lot of the insulation off to check its condition and to repair. So it's it. In an aging facility, it often becomes one of the more expensive uh, corrosion mechanisms to manage. About the CUI, yeah, it is actually quite interesting also, but because I think uh, there are many reference uh, to do the threat assessment for for this uh, CUI. Mm. In five eight one, they have different method, and then five eight three, they have the uh, yep. recommendation, and then also I think. Each company also they have like a different type of method that we uh, how to do the assessment. Uh, do you have any recommendation? What will be the best way to? <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. So ho hopefully, Richard, on your new new plant, you won't have a problem. Um, with CUI for, for many years. But yeah, look, that's a really good observation, Sina. There are some very good guidelines uh, out there now and um, company-specific recommendation. I, I think even though there is um, there are some quite good tools for doing inspection, uh, it is often very hard to get access. Like a lot of the, um, the equipment uh, is, is difficult to get access to. It might be in pipe racks or might be very tall. So doing a comprehensive inspection is quite difficult. And one of the things that I have learned is that, you know, corrosion might happen, you know, in a place that you don't expect or it all from the outside looks fine. Uh, so sometimes you can see, hey, there's a bit of a bit of rust or maybe some water dripping or you can see something on this pipe. I, I think there's a problem there. Um, but often it happens where you least expect it. And I think one of my learnings is, um, yeah, there are some good inspection techniques and there are some very bad ones. I think um, I personally have found some, had some experiences with pulsed eddy current that's not been very good. Uh, it's missed quite a lot of corrosion. And part of that is, is I think, because when you have corrosion under installation, the corrosion product is actually metallic, right? So you're getting a, an eddy current response there from the corrosion product. Uh, and so... Sometimes it's not such a great technique, but I think radiography works quite well on piping. Yeah. So, but a large piece of uh, insulated equipment, a large tower or a column, you know, in an oil and gas plant, will be 
quite difficult to inspect the installation and often you just have to take insulation off in large sections to do a, a, a physical uh, physical vig visual inspection that's often the best way to do it and i think a lot of companies are you know that's kind of been where they've ended up going to after many years of trying different inspection techniques another question for you so in 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 the company uh, uh integrity management is all about compliance right so we need to comply with the government because we need the license to operate the plan uh, you know sometimes we operate that uh, plan on behalf of the government like in yeah. indonesia government yeah, yeah. on the resource and then we operate on behalf of the uh, government so usually document that uh, at, at the on the on the top that usually government um, 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 compliance or government document and then uh, followed by um, company procedure or company guidance practice if you say and then uh, after that um, international standards such mm. as api 571 api 580 and then bs and iso um, so when we working with the rba of course, we want to uh, determine or give it the maximum value to our client when we determine the probability of failure. And also, we want to uh, increase the probability of detection when we have the when we have the damage mechanism that we notice. So the question is, when we work with the such uh, several standards, what should we do as a RBA engineer? Is there any caveat uh, when we do that? Are we follow straightforward to the uh, company, or we need to mix a little bit, you know, like gado gado with the API <laughs> with ISO, or 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 we just don't care everything if we have the highest uh, government and uh, you know procedure over to you, Pa. Wow, champur, yeah, champur, champur. That's a very good question, Richard. I, I think uh, is probably not something that there's an, an easy answer to, but I think um, if you uh, develop your processes and document what you're doing and you apply them consistently, uh, that normally is quite a good way to, to protect yourself or to, to demonstrate that you're actually working through systematically. I think uh, where you get into trouble, especially with, yeah, like you said, the government or with with um, MIGAS or regulators, you know, if there's there's regulating authorities in there, if you say that you're doing something, but you don't actually do it, um, or you're not consistent between what you say you're going to be doing and what you actually do. Um, I think in many countries now, uh, there's an, an acceptance of a risk-based approach that you know, you you can adopt that risk-based approach, but you also have to adopt it carefully and and consistently. Yeah, you can't just pick and choose which which pieces you you adopt. And one of the questions I think you know one of the challenges is even when you look at you know some of the best international codes and standards, like you know you you did mention uh, the the BSEN or API five eight one, which is often sort of reference as a very it's a very big document yeah it's uh buku basaritu yeah the, the api 581 documents many hundreds of pages but yeah. even that even that is not is not perfect there are some mistakes in there there's the next revision they've identified i think 160 improvements that need to be made to that where it's better interpretation or better calculation of corrosion rates or damage mechanisms or maybe how do you handle tank insulation or what about buried piping so the codes and the standards are a work in progress yeah they're, they're not ever 100 percent complete there's always improvements and always changes so um one of the things that i think uh that i've i've, I've found that you you have to be aware of is to is to understand the big picture of what you're doing with when you're using these uh, these codes and standards and i think a lot of the the indonesian engineers that uh, that i've worked with are very good at this they can understand that um you know when you're doing for example we had a, a client and some of some of my indonesian friends have been working on on a project with a client in the middle east and they the, the client got very 
very uh, focused on the consequence modeling, right? And, uh, you know, if you have this fluid or what if the wind's going this direction or what if the wind's going that, that direction? And he didn't understand that you've actually got a lot of uncertainty in these calculations. They're, in some senses, especially for the consequences, they're just order of magnitude or they're indicative, right? You, you don't, um, you don't use the calculation and then do to the nearest decimal place uh, for, you know, for, I don't know, blast area or damage. Uh, and so understanding uh, the, the bigger picture and the importance of the different variables and the impact of different variables on the calculations, I think is important. Um, actually, with when you do a, an API 581 approach, I think it's important to understand that the 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 risks are often calculated as relative risks. Yeah, it tells you that this one is more significant than the other one, but it's not going to tell you exactly how much or um, or an exact number. Um, so that that I think is is quite important to have the big picture when you're looking at these codes and understand more than just what the numbers tell you. What else? Um, I think the other the other one your your question about inspection and how good is inspection. I think that's a really important part of um, the API five eight one uh, and the risk based inspection approach. Part of the calculation or the confidence that you have in the condition of your equipment is based on how good is your your inspection, how effective is it? Um, were you using the right tools? Were you looking in the right places? Were the people doing the inspections? Were they, um, you know, were they qualified inspection engineers? Have they are they someone you can trust? Um, and so, you know, even in in APR five eight one, they have a, a score A B C D E. You know, if you're very confident that you detected the damage mode if it happened and that you have looked in all the locations and used very accurate measurements, maybe you can give yourself an A rating. Uh, and so this is quite important to understand. Uh, and it's quite helpful when you go back and you look at old inspections on a on a plant that you're assessing. If you look and say, hey, you know, they got the, the um, you know, maybe someone who wasn't very good. He just went and took a photograph of the vessel and said, yeah, that looks okay. Um, bikes are uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, that's not a very good inspection if you're trying to look for wall thinning from internal corrosion. So uh, the inspection confidence and inspection effectiveness is a very important um, thing to understand. The other, the other one, which is which is also just you know when you're talking about the applicability of the codes, is not every uh, not every code is applicable to your facility. For example, you know APR five eight one because that's that's one that people talk about a lot. That's designed for refinery service. Yeah, if you try to do an offshore facility or in oil and gas or a or a different sort of process, then it doesn't have the right damage mechanisms in there. For example, it doesn't have uh, com comments about microbial induced corrosion. Yeah, that can happen very quickly, very high corrosion rates, five millimeter a year, six millimeter per year. But it's not even in APR five eight one. Um, some of the uh, chloride stress-induced cracking uh, mechanisms we have. We know that there are different temperature-driven susceptibilities from uh, different uh, stainless steels. API 581 doesn't even consider that. So you need to understand what are the limitations of the code that you're working with because you might need to be doing and adding uh, additional risks to it um, that you might have in your facility. Uh, I have read some uh, like uh, in the website, like uh, in the Oil and Gas uh, Technical Center in uh, in UK, I think, has uh, prepared like a asset integrity roadmap. Uh, they provide like a short, mid, and long-term planning. And on one of them in the mid on long-term, uh, they they suggest that they want to use like a artificial intelligence, which is, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like a hype uh, technology at the moment <laughs> when everybody talk about <laughs> AI and everything uh, yeah. in every aspect. So yeah, we would like to know, uh, in your opinion, what will be the future of the risk uh, assessment in five or ten years later? Are there any advanced method uh, within your radar that we need to aware of that maybe we can consider? Uh, yeah, no, that's a that's a really good question, Sina, and um, I. 
uh, thank you for sharing the the S integrity roadmap. I hadn't actually seen it before, and I don't know. Maybe you can share the link with your listeners because it's it's quite a good overview and shows the sorts of changes that are happening uh, in this um, in this world. I think it's very important when you're talking about AI, as you said, it's the a buzzword that everyone wants to use. Uh, risk based inspection again. It comes down to the quality of your data. If you've done inspections that are not very good or not very clear or uh, maybe poor quality mm-hmm. or were inspecting in the wrong place, mm-hmm. then um, you know you're going to be making decisions based on poor information. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, in in English we say garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, if you, yeah. <laughs> if your input information is not good, uh, then you know. Um, then your output will be will be rubbish as well. So, so but you you know some of the things that are on this chart are quite uh, are quite um, true, and I think there are some big changes in the inspection space. You might have seen, uh, you know, robots, uh, the Boston Dynamics robotic inspection with with putting uh, UT probes on robots. I think there's some UT probes on drones being done, uh, and visual inspection from drones. So there is. Certainly, um, a big push to automating a lot of the inspection processes, especially when you're talking about uh, offshore facilities where the cost of having people on or sending people offshore is is quite expensive. Um, it it does make sense to that to do sort of the the automated inspection with drones or robots. But that's yeah, that is happening now. But I don't I don't see that being picked up for m- most operations for quite a long time uh, probably the more obvious one is um is the what you've got in here not just the enhanced inspection techniques but the condition-based monitoring so installing um, better probes uh, sensors maybe ut probes and in instrumenting your facility um, having uh, maybe even more, more corrosion probes in your facility or better process and fluid monitoring so you, your listeners might have heard about the digital twin. So you're you're always um, checking the pulse of your plant, and you're always taking measurements. Um, I think people get very excited about that, but you also have to understand the limitations. So, you know, I I know a study that was done um, that was done by a company, and they said, oh, well, what happens if we if we replaced all of our inspections and put sensors there and made uh, put you know embedded UT probes, connected them to wireless uh, wireless network, and they went through because of all the different locations in in the plant that they would have to instrument, mm. uh, the cost was going to be ten times more than just doing the inspection. Mm. So for retrofitting an old asset, an old facility uh, across the board, it, it still is quite an expensive operation. Uh, for a new facility like your maybe your Tango Train Three, Richard, you've got the opportunity to build in some of the more of the sensorization. Uh, that that's certainly more cost effective to do as part of a new design. Um, but but also, you know, you, we as engineers have to understand again the confidence of inspection. So I, I'll tell you a little story. Yeah, uh, there was a, a customer in Australia who had a CO2 absorber. Uh, very very high corrosion rates, very high corrosion rates, and they knew they had problems, and they thought, yeah, I'm not sure if if we'll be able to last for another two years, which is when we have the shutdown. So they went and they installed uh, some UT micro probes, which are very high resolution. Yeah, they can they can detect wall loss of you know one micron, very very thin wall loss. So you can every day you can see the wall the wall thickness changing. So they installed, you know, ten of these on the on the pressure equipment, and they had a look and they thought, yeah, okay, it's okay, we'll be able to get to the shutdown. Everything's good. The measurements is maybe 0.5, 0.5 microns or something per day. That's okay, we can get there. But then they they had an opportunity to go inside the vessel, uh, the pressure request, uh, pressure vessel, and do an inspection. They thought, whoa. This is uh, there's, there's almost a hole in this this place. It's almost all the way through the wall thickness. You know that's so bad. How, how come the the UT probes that we installed didn't didn't tell us about this high corrosion rate? Well, 
It's of course because they had them in the different location, right? So where they installed the probes was not where they had the uh, the the local corrosion. So it's local local pitting and local corrosion. So to fully instrument a pressure equipment and a pressure vessel, like every single hundred percent instrumentation uh, with the current technology, would cost an awful lot. Um, but maybe in five or ten years' time, there'll be some some better technologies to do that. So I think you have to be a little bit uh, careful about people who, you know, predict that uh, we'll be able to to put sensors everywhere because you don't always know where the corrosion is going to happen. Same with corrosion on the installation. There are some some tools and sensors that are being marketed, which I think uh, could be quite useful, but unless you can put them in all the right locations, you still could miss things. Um, yeah, so that's, that's uh, so you've got, again, advanced inspection or techniques through automation. You've got the monitoring uh, part of the process. Data analytics is actually, you know, doing uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence to review the findings of your data to to look at changes in process that condition that could result in maybe higher erosion rates. I think that's a very, uh, very valid and useful tool. I think there's a lot of data that comes in now, even inspection data or process data. Um, sometimes uh, the machine learning uh, algorithms, uh, maybe they pick up things that humans don't pick up. So I think that's something that is being done right now. Um, the other one, which which we are doing in the machine learning space, is and this is more for you know visual inspection. If you're uh, wanting to look for external damage or external corrosion or or coating damage or wall loss, is to um, is to train machine vision. You know how you can do a Google yeah, image search and can say, hey, find a you know a, a monkey or find some noodles or you know traffic light and and it will know what they look like so we've also trained uh, some of our inspection software to be able to detect severity of corrosion or hey there's a, a dent there or there's uh, maybe um, I don't know a, a bolt missing so some of that is is quite useful because it can look through a lot of inspection data very quickly and and highlight issues that then you can get a, a human to look at and to check and to do an interpretation on um yeah so those are some of the big trends uh another one which i think for new facilities is is also being um being looked at is trying to design you've got some good standards for non-intrusive inspection and for doing a non-intrusive inspection approach so where you don't necessarily have to go inside your pressure equipment and stop production so giving better access from the outside from ut maybe um, designing maybe more standard steel in places that are difficult to inspect so the whole nii or naa not um, uh, non-intrusive inspection uh, philosophy is is becoming more common for new facility design so you want to design equipment so that it doesn't have to be uh, inspected as much uh, by an internal inspection so that's that's also quite important getting a uh, good input everywhere I, I think so yeah I think yeah um, if you have garbage coming in or if the you know if you're getting inspection results but they're not very accurate or not taken in the right place then if you're using that to make decisions then you know you need to be very careful so yeah look i think the future is quite exciting but you still have to be it's, it's we still need engineers yeah we still need people to look <laughs> at the data and <laughs> and make sure that what the computers are telling us makes sense and sometimes it's good sometimes it tells us things we wouldn't have expected but uh you know they they still require um someone to make sure that what they're telling us makes sense yeah 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 i mean it it will not eliminate the job of rbi engineer but it will uh help rbi engineer <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i i think so yeah. i i really been a good discussion by and i think the last question because uh, i think we going toward the end of our meeting so we understand that asset integrity is one of your company core business um, I think um, from, you know, executive point of view, we would like to know what are the challenges uh, for your company in the current condition. Maybe uh, 
you know, uh, because of the technological and also COVID um, and then, mm. uh, you know, anything else. And then also another um, important question, maybe you can wrap up. Uh, what is your advice or what is your recommendation for um, the student or uh, graduates, young engineer that may be interested in the field of integrity engineer? Any uh, thing that they need to prepare in order to uh, better prepare themselves as an integrity engineer? Yeah, really good questions, Richard. Um, yeah, so look, the the impact for us as a business in terms of, yeah, as you say, COVID, um, you know, maybe oil prices are not so high. There's a big push for renewables uh, in the oil and gas space. Um, in one sense, it's actually making uh, making more work for us because a lot of the operators and producers are wanting to find uh, ways to be more efficient and to reduce risks and unplanned events and get a better get better control of their operations. So. Um, in the past, maybe they could be a little bit lazy now, yeah. But now I think because there's more pressure, more competition uh, between operators, the drive to lower costs and improve effectiveness and efficiency, you know, that that's that's a lot of what we do in the S integrity space. Uh, even life extensions for facilities that maybe are coming to the end of their life and looking at using them for longer. That's something that we do quite a lot of. So. The, the actual business that we're in uh, uh, and the work that we're doing at the moment is is still you know we're still still quite busy there's still a lot of work I think there's a lot of aging equipment and the equipment you know every year the equipment does get older and as it gets older it it has problems that need need a, a little bit more focus and attention to manage um, but the other thing is a lot of the the skills and the approaches that you know, maybe in the process industry or in upstream or downstream oil and gas, which is where I guess I do a lot of my business. But um, a lot of that work that we do is transferable to other industries, and especially things like infrastructure, um, things like uh, transportation, things like you know, production, pulp and paper. You know, we, we were doing some work for a, um, a dairy, you know, a uh, last year in in New Zealand, and you know, I, I've never done work for a dairy, but you mm -hmm. go into there. It's a process plant. They've got corrosion problems. They need to improve their management systems. They need better tracking of anomalies and failures. So a lot of the skills are actually uh, are actually transferable, um, and the processes and the thinking of identifying threats, how do you manage them, uh, is you know it, it's quite a good logical. Um, logical process that you can apply to to many different things and actually around the world I, I, I'm not sure what's happening in Indonesia at the moment but a lot of governments are investing quite a lot in uh, infrastructure projects and trying to improve infrastructure as a way of exciting their economy so you know if you design your your bridges badly and you don't look after them then you know you can have catastrophic consequences there if you you know, even even in the renewable space with wind farms and wind turbines, you know, there's, uh, you know, there are things that can fail there. The, the turbine blades fail, they need inspection. So, yeah, there, there is, um, it is, it is a changing world um, and COVID is changing things. And I know that, you know, Indonesia has, has been quite, quite badly hit, um, which is, which is very sad, but you know, I think by being trained as an engineer with the thinking skills that you get from doing asset integrity engineering, you can do work in other areas quite well. Uh, yeah. So uh, advice, your last question was about advice for young young engineers stepping into maybe or, or looking to get into work, uh, looking at what skills are important. Uh, I think one of the things that I've seen, and it's actually very very exciting is that um, a lot of our young graduates and young engineers are very good with uh, digital skills and data analytics and programming in Python and uh, you know some of the things that maybe the the older people amongst us like maybe Sina and myself 
uh, aren't <laughs> quite so good at anymore, you know. But it's actually really important. So a lot of the work that we do, <laughs> yeah. um, a lot of the work that we do, for example, where, you know, we have to look through a whole lot of inspection reports or history on equipment or to try and find anomalies or problems. Instead of uh, spending hours, you know, looking through hundreds and hundreds of pages of a document, we've now got um, trained uh, Python scripts to do OCR, optical character recognition, to extract data, to do processing. So the young engineers are doing this themselves because they're, they're sitting there thinking, hey, I, 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 I'm getting Bosan sitting here looking through all these documents. There must be a quicker way to do that. I'll use some <laughs> of my programming skills. Yes. So I, I think that's that's very important is to make sure that you know how to use data manipulation and you know, machine learning, uh, writing code in Python. Python's pretty pretty popular nowadays. It's something that we look for in a lot of our engineers. Um, and and thinking, you know, working together as teams and thinking bigger picture and trying to solve problems, I think that's always very important. It's not just doing the calculations. It's about, well, how do we add value? How do we make this better? How do we solve problems? But, uh, you know, in my experience, a lot of the the engineers that I worked with in Jakarta, fantastic engineers, very, very careful, very, very thorough, very skillful. And, you know, some of the some of the best engineers I've worked with. So, yeah, I think that's it's, it's a credit to, I guess, maybe uh, your culture and uh, also some of the training in ITBs, where most of them came from, but other universities as well. <laughs> yeah. Cindy, you were from UI, yeah? Uh, no, that's my uh, master. Your master, okay. Maybe maybe you're not allowed to endorse a, a university <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah. It's okay. Thank you. I think that's the benefit of being a lazy person because we are trying to find the fastest way to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's 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 actually not a bad way to say it you know you know if yeah. <laughs> i've not thought about that but yeah all right um thank you pa andrew uh hope uh, good luck with the family and work there and thank you pasina and then for our listener if you enjoy this podcast uh please be sure to listen in the spotify and share within your network we hope that this podcast find uh, you useful in support your professional and your engineering work. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, Please be sure to subscribe and share this podcast you Spotify link. I hope that you find this podcast are useful in support you and your professional engineering work. If you have question or feedback to us, let me know. You can send us email at rmbasary at mtu.edu or mssulaiman at gmail.com. Thank you all and wish you all the best.